I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning there together, or swiping there together, there are three events in the life of Christ that get a great deal of publicity. We've even recognized them as holidays every year. And no doubt, many of you took the time to celebrate each one. I'm sure around Christmas time, maybe the whole month of December, you may have dedicated to the advent of Christ, the birth of Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. You would do well to celebrate His birth because that is when God condescended as a man to become like us so that we could become like Him. In the same vein, I'm sure you no doubt celebrated and pondered the death of Christ. Maybe the month of April, you dedicated that whole month or maybe a, maybe a week or so to just think about Christ's passion, His suffering, and you would do well to do so because Jesus was crucified for our redemption. And no doubt you also celebrated Easter Sunday as a family. And as a church, we, I know we did, we, we celebrated how death had been defeated and our new life is one in Christ and we now belong to Him. And then we take a deep breath and we wait until Christmas. And unfortunately, there's one event in the life of Christ that we miss sometimes. And it's actually His last act on this earth. It was the last thing the disciples saw that motivated their entire ministries. And as you can see behind me, it is the ascension. The ascension of the King. If you want to celebrate it, it's always 40 days after Easter. It was May 30th this past year. But even I, as I'm preaching this to you, I didn't celebrate the ascension this year. But as we got to the end of Mark, and I was talking with Pastor Farrell, he said it would be great for us just to center on this. The last act of Jesus on this earth. And yet, even though little thought is given to it, it is so important. Here's one way to look at it, as one author put it this way. It would be ridiculous to build a house, a beautiful home, with no one to live in it. It would be ridiculous for us to have a beautiful spread of food here in this ministry center after church and no one can eat it. Just as it is ridiculous for that to take place. The birth and death and resurrection of Christ are of no use to us without the ascension. Because Christ's ascension to the throne provides us with an entrance into Christ's house to sit and eat at His table and become empowered to carry out His mission. In other words, the ascension takes what Christ did and was on earth and releases it into our world and into our lives with all of its power. You see, without the ascension, the picture is, is incomplete. The head that was crowned with thorns that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter and, 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 and the Passion Week and Good Friday, the head that was crowned with thorns is now crowned with glory. And while we do serve a resurrected Christ, friends, we serve an ascended King who will reign forever. We'll be primarily in the book of Acts this morning and 
As you know already, the book of Acts is part two. It is the sequel to Luke's writing, to his gospel. And Acts forms the counterpart, the perfect counterpart to the gospels. And the gospels we see where the Son of Man is offering up his life on the cross. And in Acts, the Son of God is offered his power at the throne. In the Gospels, we see the original seeds of Christianity. But in Acts, we see the continual growth of the church that even extends today. The Gospels tell us that Christ was crucified and is risen. And Acts speaks of the Christ who has ascended and exalted. We're going to walk through these 11 verses together. We're also going to look at a parallel passage in Luke's Gospel as well. And then make some applications for our everyday lives about what is the the meaning of this for us today. So just to walk walk you through our our path we're going to tread, the promise of the ascended king, the commission of the ascended king, and then the response to this current ascended king, Jesus himself. So in other words... What has Christ promised? What has Christ commanded us to do? And how should we respond to his lordship as the ascended king? First one we're going to look at together, as I know you're frantically trying to write all this down, is the promise from the ascended king. Jesse already read the text to us, um, but I want to just draw your attention to verse 1 again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke begins his second volume much like he began his first volume. He connects it to that first book. What is that first book? You know it as the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing once again to his friend, who is most likely a Roman official or magistrate, Theophilus. Theophilus' name, ironically, means friend of God or loved by God. You can kind of see that even in, in, the, uh, in the etymology of his name. And in his first volume, Luke is contending he wanted to write an orderly account. You probably read that in Luke chapter 1. He says, O Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, I'm writing to you an orderly account of Christ and his life. And why does he do this? Because he wanted Theophilus to have certainty, he said, in what he had already been taught. So once again, as we open Luke's second volume, Jesus doesn't want us just to read this this morning and move on. God doesn't just want us to listen to the sermon and walk out these doors. We are meant to understand these truths and confidently rest our lives on them. So what does Luke say concerning Jesus? Here in verse 1, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Don't you love that? I have, I'm tell, I, I've already told you what Jesus began to do. What is the implication there? That Jesus is still teaching. That Jesus is still acting. One author put it this way, The risen Lord acts and is present in the whole life of the church in Acts. When they preach, He preaches. When they are heard, He is heard. And almost retitle this, this, uh, this, this book, The Acts of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostles. It's really about Jesus. It's really about Him acting. It's really about Him preaching, because it's His message. 
Jesus is announced as King and Lord, not as some increasingly distant memory, but as a living, powerful reality, as one author put it, a person who can be known and loved and obeyed, who continues to act. And so just because Christ's bodily presence is no longer here, and we'll see later how he ascends, he would still be with them. He would still be preaching through them, still be pleading through them that the world would be reconciled to him and and he would be with them to the end of the age. Remember that promise in Matthew 28? I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. In verses 2 and 3, draw your attention there. Until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive and after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Before we get to the promise of the Holy Spirit, you see here Christ is teaching his disciples about the coming kingdom. What was the content of that teaching? He was with him for 40 days. What happened there? Well, turn, if you would, to Luke 24 and verses 44 through 49. We're going to look there. And as you're turning there, I just want you to see how, how kind our Savior is. Jesus could have just walked out of the grave and ascended to his Father. But he takes the time with Mary in the garden. He takes the time to restore Peter. He takes the time, 40 days, to spend with his disciples. And remember how discouraged these men were. Remember what they had just seen 40 days prior? They, they, had, they, they saw Jesus die. And all their hopes died with him. And that kingdom plan that was unfolding for them was over. But it was only the beginning. And Jesus would now spend 40 days with his disciples teaching them about this coming kingdom. Revealing the disciples really didn't understand it as well as they thought they did. So look at verse 44 of Luke 24. These are, the, are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is, as, this is after he appeared to his disciples. Remember in that, in that room and he eats with them and then he starts speaking. In verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Open their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Notice the content of his teaching. Christ was specifically showing his disciples how to interpret what just happened, the cross and the resurrection, by looking at the rest of Scripture. Jesus leaves no stone unturned. He's, he's talking about the law, talks about the prophets, And he talks about the Psalms. All of you can breathe a sigh of relief. We are not going to go verse by verse through all of those books this morning. But I encourage you, when you have some time, to trace Christ through all of those books. I didn't say it. Jesus did. He appears in all of those books. If you think of it this way, the Bible is not a collection of disconnected stories. 
It is one narrative that points to one person. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus opens their minds, just like he did on the way to Emmaus. He opens the minds of these disciples to understand and interpret the Scriptures Christologically, with Christ in view. And how all that was written in the, in, about Jesus in the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. And what's interesting here is when you get to the book of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see Peter following Jesus' lead. Look at what he does here in Acts 2 and 3. Peter quotes Genesis 22. He quotes Deuteronomy 18. He quotes Psalm 110 and Joel chapter 2. And points everyone in that audience to Jesus. There you have it. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything, this, all the momentum of, that, of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And he wanted to teach his disciples about that. Look, this has been prophesied. This has been coming for a long time. The cross should not have been a shock to you. The resurrection should not have been a, a surprise to you. This was all part of the plan. And now the plan is going to be unfolding in a way that you could not possibly imagine. And I know you're too big for this moment, disciples. But remember, I told you, I would be sending a helper. I would be sending the Holy Spirit to come and empower you as my disciples. Go back to Acts chapter 1. You see a similar thing. You see how Luke, Luke's gospel ends and Acts begins. There's kind of this overlap here. And you can see it in both Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. He says here, while he was staying with them, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Or, like he said, you'll be clothed with power on high. This takes us back to John the Baptist's words in Matthew chapter 3. You remember this? He says, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry around his sandals. <laughs> He's that mighty. He's that great. And he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire, with power. See, this, the promise that Christ lays out before he ascends is, is, is everything. It's the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what we've been looking forward to. This is what he said in the upper room, remember? To his disciples before in John 14. He says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm, I'm going to be with you just in a more powerful way. Yes, I'm going to be leaving you bodily, but I will be with you in a greater way than you could ever possibly fathom. Listen to what he says in verse 25 of John 14. I'll just read it to you. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. His presence is going but bodily, but he says, I'm leaving you with my peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, and I love this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I'm not leaving you. Yes, I'm leaving you bodily, but I'm not leaving you. The Holy Spirit is going to be here. And he is going to empower all of my disciples. 
I hope you're finding this to be very encouraging to you today. Christ has kept his promise, did he not? Has the Holy Spirit been sent? Do we have the Holy Spirit living within us? Are we indwelled even now with the Holy Spirit if we are believers in Christ? Yes. The Holy Spirit came just as Christ said He would, and He indwells us, He empowers us, He instructs us, and He transforms us through the Word of God. But, this would not have happened without the ascension. Christ says, if I stay here, the Holy Spirit will not come. If I go, the Holy Spirit comes. And God's empowering presence now not just dwells with those twelve disciples, but with every believer. So not only do we see the promise of the ascended king, we also now see the commission of the ascended king. Christ appointed his spirit-empowered witnesses here. So if you're following along um, and, and, and you're seeing how this is unfolding, you see how the disciples are probably getting very excited now. And you can sense that even in verse 6. Because what's the next logical step here? Well, if the Holy Spirit's coming, and you're ta- you've told us for 40 days, you had this 40-day conference on the kingdom, let's go. I mean, things were looking pretty bad 40 days ago when you died, but now you're risen, now you're going to be ascended, now, wow, this, we, now, now things are back on track. As a way of illustration, I like to speak directly to our children that are in the audience who haven't fallen asleep yet. So just look at me for a second. There is, there is a, uh, there's a question that you love to ask your parents, among other questions that you ask your parents. And it's usually when you are on a trip on vacation. You know what that question is? Even the parents know it. <laughs> and grandparents too. Are we there yet? How many of you have heard that this summer already? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, it is, it's like woven into a child's DNA to ask that question. My children even love to ask this question before we're out of Lynchburg. Clearly, we're not there yet. <laughs> not even nearly there yet. We're not even out of our town. And sometimes my, my children get so eager about this, but why? Because they can't wait to get where they're going. And in verse 6, we find the disciples asking, are we there yet? Is it time? He says, Lord, verse 6, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Essentially, they're asking with expectancy, are we there yet? And look at Christ's statement and his commission. He says, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I think I'm going to use that statement next time. Uh, use Jesus' words when I'm in the car with my children. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But Jesus is being serious here. He is saying, look, listen, you're getting ahead of yourself here, once again. You don't understand what I've been teaching you these last 40 days. It's like they, they were thinking, we're back on track, let's do it now. But there was still work to be done. See, the disciples would need to, and we do as well, we need to align our kingdom dreams with the reality of Christ as our ascended king. 
Jesus wanted his disciples not to be preoccupied with overthrowing the Roman oppression and setting up a kingdom now. He wanted them to be preoccupied with a, with a heavenly kingdom that would be established in a new heaven and a new earth that would be beyond their imagination. It's easy for us to be preoccupied with this world too, right? We can't really pin this on the disciples. This is, this is us too. Will you now come, Lord? Will you now restore the kingdom? When is this going to happen? How long, O oh Lord, will you delay? You're coming. And yet there is a plan, and it is fixed. Why? It says here, it is not for us to know the times or the seasons that the Father has what? Fixed by His own authority. We trust ourselves to the Father and His timing. But again, before that can happen, Christ had to ascend to the throne. And obviously there is kingdom work to be done. You see here in the subpoint, Christ appointed His Spirit-empowered witnesses to testify of Him as His authorized representatives to all nations. Every word I've put there has been carefully chosen so you understand what is going on here in verse 8. You will receive power, Spirit-empowered, by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This syncs up with what Luke records for us at the end of his gospel as well. He says, you will go out from Jerusalem with this message that's been entrusted to you. And here in Acts 1.8, we see where this message is going to go. Yes, in the surrounding area where they, where they were now, in Jerusalem. And then it's going to broaden out into the surrounding countryside of Judea. And then it's going to go into... Areas of people who have been oppressed by the Jews. People who have been hated and shunned by everyone else. They're going to get the gospel too. And then not only them. Not just Jews and half-Jews, but Gentiles. And all the Gentiles in this room said, Amen. This is, this is the impact of this, of this kingdom work. And this moment is so much bigger than these twelve disciples. And it's so much bigger than us. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is saying, look, I'm going to appoint my own witnesses. You know, this takes us back to Isaiah 44 where when God is declaring there's no other God besides Him. He is first and He is last. And then He says, and you are going out as my witnesses. He tells this to Israel. And now He's appointing His witnesses here in Acts 1.8 and us as well. A long, we stand in a long line of witnesses. And what does that word mean? It actually means someone who testifies. But it's not just someone who's bearing witness. It's someone who's been authorized to do so. It's someone who has said, you're, you're going to be the ambassador. You're going to be the representative of this message. And you are going to take it to the nations. But who is giving this message out? The ascended king. The unstoppable ascended king who came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, and he died the death we should have died, and he rose from the dead, conquering death and hell and Satan, and now he ascends to his rightful throne, and he says, you are now my witnesses. That's a tall order for us. And there's times that I've, I've often wondered, wouldn't it have been better for Jesus just to stay here and do it himself? My dad used to have that statement all the time. If you want to do something right, you've got to do it yourself. <laughs> But he entrusts it to us. He entrusts it to 
fallible men and women like you and me who are going to stumble, who are going to fall, who aren't going to say it perfectly. And yet he says, that's okay because my power is going to be displayed in your weakness. I am going to, I'm going to authorize you to take this message. You're going to be this earthen vessel. You're going to be this vessel of clay. And you are going to go out with this treasure of the gospel. And you know what? Light is going to shine into the darkness of other people's hearts. And they're going to become witnesses too. But none of this happens. I know I keep saying this. None of this happens without the ascension. Not only do we see the promise of the ascended king and the commission of the ascended king, and we could go on more about the implications of that, but also want us to see the response to the ascended king. Let's go to verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up at a cloud took him out of their sight. That had to be the strangest thing those disciples had ever seen in their entire lives. And they had seen some things. But can you imagine? Here, here Jesus has been here for 40 days. That's, that's not like five minutes. That's a, that's a long time. And you're thinking that he's going to be around for a longer time. And as he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, and you're going to be my witnesses. And just like that, he disappears. Now, for you children out there, this wasn't like a a spaceship that just went into the the other hemispheres and now Jesus is somewhere in outer space. I used to think that as a kid. That's not what's going on here. It says that he did ascend upward, but a cloud, then then he disappears behind a cloud. He's not living on the clouds either, children. Where is he? What is he ascending to? He's not just ascending into the heavens, the skies. He's ascending to what? A throne. So don't think skies, think throne. Don't think heavens, think he is now the king, a ruler of all. But disciples didn't understand this. And they, you can see this because what are they doing? In verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. See, the disciples seem to be confused. It's, it's almost like the, the breath was taken out of them. <laughs> like, how are we going to do this without Jesus? I mean, how, why is he leaving us? And at times, I'm sure they were tempted to believe that the ascension in that moment was the loss of Christ's presence. It was the loss of his protection. And it was the loss of his power. And we can be just like the disciples here. We can gaze up into heaven and say, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? I thought you said you'd be with me. See, Jesus' last act on earth is one of his most puzzling. He ascends to the right hand of the Father but it looks like Christ is leaving our world. And as one author put it, if, if we see the ascension as resulting in less of Jesus' presence instead of more, then we're missing out on a powerful truth. Because, like I've already said, His presence would come through the Holy Spirit who would come in His place. And so you might be under the impression this morning that if only you had lived and walked with Jesus 
you would know Him better than you do now. But you'd be wrong. Before Jesus died, the Holy Spirit had not been released into the world in this powerful way. And you and I can only know Christ fully through the Spirit and His Word. As He shows you in the shadow of the cross how high and long and wide His love is for us. In other words, because of the ascension, through the Holy Spirit you can see Christ and know His presence and love better than the apostles did in the upper room at the Last Supper. Yes, Jesus' act here seems puzzling to us. But if He doesn't ascend, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and His presence would not be with all of us like it is now. And then the angels step in to explain what just happened. Assuring the disciples of some truths. Look, if you would, in verse 11. These men are standing, stood by them in white robes, which I think is very ironic that they're gazing up into heaven and they look to their left or their right and there's these angels. <laughs> they're standing there with them. And the, he said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why do you do this? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What was the disciples' response after that? Because obviously the, the angels are trying to root them in truth. This isn't the end. This is only the beginning. You've been commissioned. You're being sent out and Jesus is going to be with you and he's going to come back bodily again. Just as you saw him come and he's going to reign and rule Look back, if you would, at Luke 24. This is where the story overlaps. Verse 50. By the way, Luke is the only one who records the ascension. He records it twice. In the book of Luke, as well as in the book of Acts. This is how Luke ends his gospel. 24, verse 50. Then he led, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Isn't that, isn't that a sweet moment for Jesus to do that with his disciples? He's blessing them, pronouncing blessing upon them, giving, him, giving them one last measure of encouragement and exhortation. And then he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And what is their response here? First, they were confused. Why are, why are you standing looking into heaven? The angel said. Now the disciples are motivated. Look at what they say here. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. After the angel encounter, after the ascension, they travel back to Jerusalem with discouragement in their hearts? No, with a renewed joy. It actually says, great joy. Where do you find that statement in the book of Luke elsewhere? Remember when Christ was born? Right beforehand? Before the shepherds went, they were out there in their fields watching the sheep by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were, they were afraid. What does the angel say? Fear not. I bring you what? Good tidings of great joy. And this is amazing. That shall be to what? 
all people, all nations, all ethnicities. This message is not for just the shepherds. It wasn't just for the for, for Bethlehem. It wasn't just for Judea. It wasn't just for Jerusalem. It wasn't just for Samaria. It was to the uttermost parts of the earth. The tidings of great joy are now being entrusted to the witnesses that have been commissioned. And these disciples are motivated now. They're motivated with this renewed joy. Why? Because Jesus is not just a bloodied, suffering Savior to them anymore. He's not just a risen Christ. Now He's an ascended King who is in His full glory, reigning and ruling. And He's unstoppable. And nothing can stop Him. Nothing can stop His message from succeeding. Not even Satan himself. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not what? Prevail against it. Ascension of Jesus produced joy in these disciples, because they started realizing the amazing benefits that would come to them. Their doubts and fears were now gone. They were fully convinced of who He was. And for these reasons, Jesus' departure gave the disciples joy. And we too should have joy when we leave this place. We should be filled with power and joy and as with glorious activity this week, knowing that we go on behalf of the King we should, as one, as one theologian put it, we should go out from this place like thunderbolts this week. Into our jobs. Into our homes. Why? Because we go on behalf of an unstoppable King who is Lord of all. We cannot fail because the King will not fail. So let's make some applications here. The ascension applied. When Jesus ascended as king, his eternal reign over all things was inaugurated. Psalm 2 prophesies this. It says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. That's the ascended king. That is Jesus in view here. Daniel chapter 7, I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away and His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Who is in view here? Jesus, the ascended King. Peter makes allusion to this as well in Acts chapter 2 in his message, his sermon in Pentecost. He says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. He'd heard that term before. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, into the heavens, but he said, the Lord said to my Lord, this is Psalm 110 by the way, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool and let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucify. Peter got it. <laughs> by, the, by Acts 2 rolls around and he's preaching in Pentecost. He got it. 
He's going on behalf of a king. He's not just going on behalf of of a son of a carpenter who was a great prophet. He's going on behalf of prophet and priest and king, and his name is Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, Peter would say it again. Now that he has gone into heaven, Jesus is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers that are all subject to him. I hope that these verses that I'm reading and, and, and as we're walking through these, these different texts together, that you're getting, you're getting how big our Savior is. How massive He is. And how we should place our confidence in this King. And how the ascension, His ascension as the King, solidifies His eternal reign over all things. So, some applications under this point. Since Jesus is King, this transforms how we relate to one another as a church. We go on behalf of the King. We have the message from the King. What are some of those messages that He has told the church? As I have loved you, so love one another. We are to provoke one another to love and good works. We are to prefer one another in love. We are to honor one another. We are to greet one another. Maybe not with the holy kiss, but we are to greet one another. We are to lay our lives down for one another. These are things that the king has said to us. And as his subjects, as his followers, as his dear children, we are to model these things as a church and be witnesses to the world. Since Jesus is king, this transforms how we relate to one another in our families. As fathers, as husbands, as, as wives, as mothers, as children... Of the King. Jesus is the one who sets the tone for us. He's the one that motivates us. So as we go out on behalf of the King, it's not just in the workplaces, it's not just in, you know, in Africa and Asia and, and Europe and, and America and the innermost parts, it's also in your house, in those four walls. Mom, wife, you go on behalf of the King today. Husband, father, you... Go on behalf of the king today to represent him. Single person, college student, teenager, child, you go on behalf of the king. Are you representing him well? Since Jesus is the king, this transforms how we work in our jobs. This should really transform the way you go to work even on Monday morning. I know that your employer might be whatever company or whatever boss, but your boss, your employer is really King Jesus. And man, that, 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 that changes everything. Anything that comes at me, anything, any, any insult that's, that, 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 that's thrown at me today or any, any promotion I get passed over, something happens at work that's unfair, I'm going to go to the King with my complaints. I'm going to pray to Him. I'm going to walk in the power of the King through the power of the Holy Spirit who's made me a witness, and I'm going to be a testimony of Christ to them today. And I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges righteously, just as Jesus did. Not only that, there's a few others. Jesus is the ascended king. He verified the accomplishment of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He confirmed that the final payment of sin had been made once for all. The substitutionary sacrifice was acceptable 
to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14 tells us this. He accepted the final payment. And we see that as he ascends to the throne. Because you can't ascend to the throne unless you did that. (laughs) You know, you and I could travel to London, and if we could get past security, and some of those, you know, the guards that don't smile or anything, we we could get past them, and we could ascend to that throne. We could find the throne room and ascend to that throne, but it wouldn't really, it would just be us sitting there, but we don't belong there. Jesus belongs there. He ascended to that throne, and it is his because of what he did on the cross, how he conquered death. His substitutionary sacrifice was acceptable, and therefore we have the atonement to us. Here's another beautiful thing. When Jesus ascended as king, guess what else he's doing for us right now? Another benefit. The intercessory work of Jesus on behalf of his people began. Aren't you so thankful for that? Romans 8, in this passage, we see how the Spirit assures us that we belong to God and as His dear children, and how we can cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray and intercedes for us. He's doing that through Jesus. And Jesus says in 1 John chapter 2, He says we have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the Righteous. Jesus is interceding for us right now, all because of the ascension. Because He is our King. The church was then, as well, empowered to accomplish its mission. We've already gone over this in great detail, but that is one of the applications that I want you to take away today, is that you are now empowered to accomplish this tall order, this impossible mission, because you have an unstoppable God and an unstoppable message Ephesians 1, 20-23 says, God the Father put everything under His, Christ's feet, and appointed Him head over everything. He is head of the church. He is the captain of our salvation. He is leading us and guiding us and protecting us and empowering us. And we go forth from this place as His witnesses. So in conclusion... Jesus Christ is the king of the universe and there's nothing Satan can do about it. We have an unstoppable God and all that Satan can do is tempt us to forget that Jesus is king. And that is the battle we face. We forget. We have amnesia, spiritual amnesia in this area. We forget that Jesus is our ascended king. He uses thousands of strategies to do this. Satan does. He is after one thing, as one author put it, to eclipse our present awareness of who Jesus is and where Jesus is. Stephen, when he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, probably remember the story. He looks up into heaven after he's just preached. And after he is now going to be be killed and murdered. Look at what happens here. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven. There's that word again. But he's not gazing into heaven confused or puzzled like the disciples. What did he see? He saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen got that glimpse. It was recorded here for us so that we would have this glimpse of who we serve. And it's interesting that once he saw Jesus, once he saw the ascended King, what is it that comes out of his mouth? The words of Jesus. Father, please do not hold this charge against them. And then he goes to be with Jesus for all eternity. See, joy and hope and mission are the responses that we should have as we leave this place. We go forward with hope and joy because the King of the universe promises that He will never leave us and nor will He ever forsake us. So the inevitable question is this. Are you living like this is true? Are you living like Christ is more accessible now than when He walked the earth because of the ascension? See, Jesus has made His intentions clear. He left heaven and all of His glory for your sake. And through the ascension, He has made Himself infinitely available to you. Christ has drawn near to you. So let's draw near to Him and be empowered by Him as His witnesses. Let's pray.